is travel for Americans. CBS's Vicki Barker is in London. British officials will decide later this week whether fully vaccinated Americans will be allowed to enter the UK without quarantining. The US is among the nations expected to be taken off the restricted list of countries with elevated COVID rates. Any Americans who do come here, though, will do so in the face of strong U.S. advice against because of the high prevalence of the highly contagious Delta variant here. All eyes are on Washington right now, where a House committee of seven Democrats and two Republicans is about to open the first public hearings into the deadly attack on the U.S. Capitol. First up to testify, law enforcement officers on duty that day. Correspondent Chris Van Cleve on Capitol Hill. The select committee is looking really at not only what happened on January 6th, but the causes of what happened on January 6th. So they're going to take a wider view here. Washington Post correspondent Mariana Sotomayor. One big chunk of this is trying to find out every single security failure, why it happened, why Capitol Police was unprepared, why other law enforcement agencies didn't really take this threat as seriously as they should have. There are heat wave alerts posted from Montana to Georgia. WIAT-TV meteorologist David Nussbaum in Birmingham, Alabama. Heat index 105, 107 by Wednesday, staying that way all the way through Saturday. Could get up to 104 in Rapid City, South Dakota and in Billings, Montana. Montana. This is CBS News. CBS News Radio is your home for breaking news. With our team of reporters around the country and the world, we give you the coverage you can trust. You're always up for some fun with the family, so you order the essentials, a new board game, some baking supplies, and even a new projector for outdoor movie night. And with the Bank of America Customized Cash Rewards Credit Card, you can choose to earn 3% cash back on online shopping, which could increase up to 5.25% as a preferred rewards member. Rewards which you can put toward an extra treat that everyone will enjoy, like an old-fashioned popcorn machine. Visit bankofamerica.com slash more rewarding and apply now. Copyright 2021 Bank of America Corporation. Jay Farner here, CEO of Rocket Mortgage and Rocket Companies. Last year, we saw historically low mortgage interest rates. What you may not know is that interest rates are already starting to increase, and it's likely that trend is only going to continue. Our team of experts is standing by to help you save before rates go up. Don't look back and wish that you had taken action. Call 833-8-ROCKET or visit rocketmortgage.com. Rocket. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states and MLSconsumeraccess.org number 3030. There's a new phone hotline to help people addicted to opioids. With the opioid epidemic and fatal overdoses surging during the COVID pandemic, the United Way has stepped up to try and help those who are hooked. Whether you call 211 or you text, you can have access to a live crisis counselor. The United Way's Sarah Berthelot says overdose deaths increased 60% during the pandemic. This is an opportunity for those that are suffering from opioid misuse to reach out for help in a confidential way. Dave Cohen for CBS News, New Orleans. Tonight finally arrived for his fans. Here is the guest host of Jeopardy, LaVar Burton. Rainbow reading host made his long-awaited debut. I am thrilled to have the opportunity to guest host Jeopardy. Got the gig after about 250,000 fans signed a petition urging producers to give him a chance. Deborah Rodriguez, CBS News. Can you name the three habits of healthy hygiene? We shower, we brush our teeth, and we... Wait a minute. What third habit? Think about it. The pandemics reminded us that the nose is your body's filter against a constant invasion of airborne germs. Your nose traps allergens, bacteria, and viruses. But like any filter, the more it's clogged up, the less it works. Now it's easy to clean your nose with Navage. My name's Martin Hoke, and I did not invent nasal irrigation. It's been around thousands of years, but I did invent Navage to make nasal irrigation easy for everyone. Navage uses powered suction to flush out germs that cause congestion, or worse, can make you very sick. People love Navage. It has 4.7 stars with over 70,000 online reviews, and over 2 million people use Navage to breathe better, sleep deeper, snore less, and feel healthier. Go to Navage.com or find Navage at Walgreens, CVS, Rite Aid, Target, Bed Bath, and select Walmarts. Make cleaning your nose your third habit. Navage. Clean nose. Healthy life. CBS Sports Brief. Summer Games. Here's correspondent Steve Futterman. Here in Tokyo, it's Tuesday night, and the big story is U.S. superstar gymnast Simone Biles 
In tonight's team competition where Biles hoped to lead the Americans to another gold medal, she withdrew from the competition after competing in the vault. She apparently has some kind of injury. Without Biles, the Americans were not able to challenge the Russian gymnasts. They win the gold. The big question now is whether Biles will be able to compete in two days when she is set to try to defend her Olympic all-around championship. Away from gymnastics, there was some good news for the U.S. at the swimming pool. 17-year-old Lydia Jacoby wins the 100-meter breaststroke. I was just trying to um, channel that energy in a more positive way. And a huge upset in tennis. Japan's Naomi Osaka is out after a straight set loss in the third round. CBS Sports Brief Summer Games. I'm Steve Futterman in Tokyo. Think about it. The pandemics reminded us that the nose is your body's filter against a constant invasion of airborne germs. But like any filter, the more it's clogged up, the less it works. Now it's easy to clean your nose with Navage. Navage uses powered suction to flush out germs that cause congestion, or worse, can make you very sick. People love Navage. It has 4.7 stars with over 70,000 online reviews. Go to Navage.com or find Navage at Walgreens, CVS, Rite Aid, Target, Bed Bath, and select Walmarts. Hello, my name is Kevin Tidd. My wife Carrie and I are the owners of the pharmacy on Stimson Avenue. For over half a century, we have been feeding the Athens community and providing customer service that is above and beyond your expectations. It has been our lifelong dream to run our own health and wellness store, and we enjoy doing so every day. Just like how we enjoy promoting our lifestyle on WATH and WXTQ Radio. Radio advertising has worked for us, especially in these trying times, and it can work for you and your business as well. Take it from us, Kevin and Carrie from the pharmacy. Lifelong ambitions, national pride, and fierce competition are in full display in Tokyo, and we're here to bring you the results and the drama behind them. CBS Sports Briefs from the Summer Games, your ticket to history. On Classic Hits 970 and 97.1 FM, WATH. Hi, I'm Kim. And this is Ruth. Please join us every Wednesday morning on 970 WATH to make it happen. It's the Kim and Ruth Show. Well, it's not the Kim and Ruth Show. It's really, I don't know. Tune in to Make It Happen with Kim and Ruth every Wednesday morning at 10.06. And we'll spend time talking about health and wellness topics. And all aspects of healthy living. But we know that you're the real expert in your health, so let us help you make it happen. Wednesday morning on 970 WATH to Make It Happen. You good? Anything you want to talk about? Here if you need me. Just want to check in. Appreciate you. Everyone feels less than okay sometimes. They may not want your advice but they may welcome your ear. Be present is a simple but powerful way to be there for others, especially now when many are separated. Help teens and young adults find their power, conquer the difficult times, and get to a better tomorrow. Be present, Ohio. Sponsored by the Ohio Suicide Prevention Foundation and aired in cooperation with the OAB and this station. I'm Tom Wong. I'm running for Congress, and I approve this message. My parents were Christians who fled communist China in 1949 and my faith has grown stronger as I've grown older. I'm not a politician or a lobbyist. I love America and want to make it even better. I ask for your vote on August 3rd. On August 3rd, vote for Tom Huang. Vote Tom Huang for Congress. Paid for by Tom for Ohio. He's not a politician or a lobbyist. What in the world is going on now? Find out every weekday at 8 a.m. and 7 p.m. on the World News Roundup from CBS News Radio and on Classic Hits 970 and 97.1 FM WATH. I'm Malcolm. I'm a commercial cash management specialist, but I'm also a leader and a musician. At Park National Bank, we're more than our job titles, and you're more than an account number. You get personal attention and direct access to a caring, compassionate banker who respects and responds to your needs and goals. Find Malcolm or a banker near you at parknationalbank.com. Park National Bank, where you mean more. Member FDIC, parknationalbank.com. Man, I love my kids so much. I once sat for three hours in the cold rain to watch her soccer team lose by 18 goals. I love my kids so much, I once used a tube to suck snot out of a stuffed nose at 3 a.m. You win. Love your kids? Love them enough to make sure they're in the right car seat. From toddlers to tweens, visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to find the right seat for their age and size. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. In our 71st year of service to Southeast Ohio, AM 970 and 97.1 FM. W-A-T-H, Athens. 
Ah, yes, it's the party line. And it's a Tuesday, the 27th of uh, July. We're headed up to 90 degrees today, sunny and hot. Special edition today, we're getting uh, up to date on the Southeast Ohio History Center. From its director emeritus, Tom O'Grady. Right here on the party line. Tom, there's so many things. Uh, first of all, good morning. Welcome. Good morning, Dave. Whoops, I got the wrong mic, I guess. Let's try that one. It's, uh, oh, the mic's backwards. There you go. That makes a difference. Uh-huh. Yeah. Good see? morning. Good morning. Um, let's see. There's so many things we could talk about with you, and we're going to hit most of them. But, uh, you know, that, uh, one thing I don't know is where you grew up. Well, first half of my life was in Cleveland, second half was in Columbus, and third half's been down here in Athens. Well, okay, so what part of Cleveland? Well, part of the time on the uh, west side and part of the time on the near east side. Okay. So east 93rd Union. It was an old Slovenian neighborhood in, in transition at the time. On the west side, were you like uh, Lakewood or what? No, a little further out toward the airport. Okay. Okay. West Park, I guess they called it. The airport's name for my uncle, Hopkins. Really? Yeah. Anyway, um, okay, so um, then then the other part was uh, Columbus, did you say? Yeah, I went to high school and college in Columbus. Where, what? Um, which school? High school? Yeah. On the hilltop, Bishop Reedy. Oh, sure, sure. See, I'm from Worthington. So. Oh, that's right. That's right. Um, all and really know the state very well. So, what what were your parents' backgrounds? Well, my dad was um, in politics. He, there was a period of time he was chairman of the Democratic Party for the state of Ohio. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. Just before Bill Lavelle took that job. Yes, of course. And. Um, and did your mother was she a homemaker or a, a yeah she uh, she raised twelve kids twelve <laughs> yeah she had twelve kids in thirteen years and where do you stand in that group uh, I was second now I'm now I'm the oldest <laughs> uh, there was a, a family across the street from where we lived the Schulteis family and they had thirteen children and um, I've lost track of every one of them but. Uh, Golly, so, well, that's that's uh, you know what do you, so what do you think about a big family? Is that did you really think that was cool? I didn't know anything different. Yeah. <laughs> it just was a part of my being my whole life, so I took it for granted. And um, you know, I I look back and I feel very fortunate to have been part of a crowd like that. Now, That's never uh, a dull moment. You mentioned uh, that you went to a college, some in uh, in um, Columbus as well. So, are we talking Ohio State or Capital or Otterbein or what? It would be Ohio State. Okay. And uh, at that time, what was your chosen interest area or major? Natural resources. Yeah. Well, then that's really stuck with you, hasn't it? Yeah, pretty much. The um. I was reading some a little bio about you and had no idea that you had been working on a, on a, 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 a ship, right? Oh, yeah. I, Up on Lake Erie, right? Yeah, I worked on an, uh, an iron ore tanker, the SS uh, Ed, um, Middletown, which I always like to remind people was a sister ship of the Edmund Fitzgerald, which I used to see it twice a week. Yeah. And, and what, what was that work like? Well, I was hired on as a deckhand, so it was uh, it was batting down the hatches when you left port after loading or unloading. We we hauled iron uh, taconite, chemically treated iron ore from Silver Bay, Minnesota to uh, Toledo, Ohio, back and forth mm. across Lake 
Huron, Lake Superior, through the Sault Ste. Marie locks. And, uh, you know, they had big cargo holds with big hatch plates on them, and you had to batten them down when you left and unbatten them when you headed in. You had, when you uh, loaded the boat, it got completely covered with dust, taconite dust, so we would spend eight hours hosing it down. When we unloaded it, it, the deck got covered with taconite pellets, mm. and we spent eight hours <laughs> hosing that down too. And now taconite, that. what is that? Uh, it's uh, it's it's chemically treated iron ore. It's small marble-sized um, pellets of of iron ore that um, they prepare it up in in Minnesota, and then they load it onto ships and ship it down to Chicago, Detroit, Cleveland, Pittsburgh. Was there then or since any concern about environmental? Uh, not much at the time. I know that the uh, it was under Nixon that they passed the uh, N- National Environmental Protection Act, and um, that's right when I was on the boat. I was on it in 1970. That's when the first Earth Day was. But I remember when our job was to shovel that taconite up. We'd hose it into large piles with a huge hose and shovel it overboard, and every ship did. And if I'm not mistaken, I think the trash was pitched out over the back of the boat too back in those days Hmm. so things have changed yeah well then then i saw later uh, maybe maybe even your next assignment was to work with the ohio department of natural resources right yeah when i got out of the were you a surveyor yeah when i got out of the service i got a job with their uh, division of engineering and i got on a survey crew and that's when I really got exposed to Ohio. We traveled around Ohio surveying boundaries of park properties or yeah. doing soundings of lakes. You know, Lake Erie was shifting, and they were testing that out and seeing how that was going. Well, now, you you skipped over the service because I didn't know about that, uh, so I didn't know to mention it. Um, what, what branch did you—were you drafted or what? Yeah, when I was on the boat <laughs> mm-hmm. up on the Great Lakes, I called home one day, and my dad says, congratulations. I said, for what? He said, well, you won. I said, won what? He says, you won the lottery. I said, yeah. what lottery? He yeah. said, you got number one in the draft. So I didn't stay on the boat a whole lot longer after I that. W- I was to... like 167 or something <laughs> like that, but I still got the draft. So I spent a year in, or two years in the U.S. Army. And, and what uh, kind of position then? They put me in radio repair, uh-huh. and then advanced radio repair, and then they sent me to Korea and made me a clerk. Well, I won't bore you with uh, what I did, but it was fascinating. Um, some other time we'll talk about it. <laughs> the, War uh, stories. Well, yeah, but I mean, it was... Well... I mean, even after I was out of the service, you know, when the POWs, there was Senate hearings and people had to testify, did we get all the POWs? And I was called to Washington to testify about that. So, and then as a draftee, no less. I I had a fascinating time. Anyway, Okay, so a surveyor checking, making sure that uh, the boundaries were understood well at these na- our state parks and. That well, one sort of the of first uh, jobs I was assigned to was the Department of Agriculture was transferring Malabar Farm State Park over to the Ohio Department of Natural Resources, and so Natural Resources wanted to survey the boundaries of it, and I spent three months at Malabar. And uh, did, it you was, know, it was a beautiful place. Yes, I learned all about it. That's what I was going to try to bring out. Is that see that be over on the uh, eastern portion of Ohio, right? Yeah, Richland County, around mm-hmm. Mansfield, a little yeah. more s- north central. Okay. Well, Malabar, I've heard so much about it. I think I visited it once or twice. I just can't recall. I think your dad used to. Join old Lewis Bromfield for dinners up there. From yes, heard. yes, yes, indeed. Well, um, so then you know when I got to know you, uh, Ed, 
No, maybe I have the wrong name here. What's that? Uh, one of your partners in this effort. Ed, oh, Ed Newman. Ed Newman. You guys were like going up and down the riverbanks and cleaning up these illegal dumps. Yep. And uh, out of all of that, you you, you a, a passion came out of all of that, and you became incredibly important here in promoting waste reduction and sustainable. Um, you know what I mean, taking care of things and recycling and uh, proper waste disposal and all that sort of thing. And you did that for a long time, right? 25 years. Now, so what was your um, highest position title? Just program manager. Okay. And that was for the city or the county or what? Uh, Athens and Hawking counties. Two counties. Yeah. Okay. Now, um... That that organization still kind of exists, right? Yeah, it's been incorporated into the Solid Waste District. Well, I don't think they do as much education and outreach. I, that was one of my big things. You know, one of the confusing things, and it, it actually uh, causes an occasional argument at our home, is is that recyclable or not? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, I say it is, and my wife says, no, the booklet says not. And, and anyway, it's confusing sometimes. But the point is, we both try to do our best. And everybody needs to be doing their best on this recycling stuff. Yep. Yep. All right, well, let's see here. Golly, there's so many different areas to your background. So somewhere along the way... And maybe it was at the age of 12, I don't know. Uh, you became fascinated in just looking at the skies, right? Well, not that early with me. That would have been George Ebert's. Okay. But I went to high school with George, and at some point he uh, he saddled me with that same interest. But I'd say uh, it's been a long time now. <laughs> well, and um, in your knowledge of... Um, what are we going to call it? The cosmos. The cosmos, yes, that's a great term. The cosmos, and, and you're an instructor at Ohio University up at their observatory. Um, we've got a new one, right? Yep. And it's pretty cool, huh? Yep. It's the, it's the same old telescope that they've had since 1950. It used to be on the top of the old our engineering building. Mm-hmm. It's the last of the great refractor telescopes ever built in the world so it's a it's a significant instrument so the lens on that is like uh 10 inches 10 inches okay and um, of course previously it was on top of a building right in the middle of town mm-hmm. um one of the problems with observatories is ambient light right yeah it's a big problem so um it eventually made far more sense to get it out of town or away from town a bit so that it was in a very dark area. Makes everything easier to see. So they moved it over to the ridges. And uh, I've not been to the new facility. I have been in the old. But um, it's it's impressive. Now, how, how much of a time do you spend doing that sort of thing? Well, I teach two classes per week in the evenings. They're two-hour classes. So I'd say four hours of teaching and then whatever amount of um, support time it takes to make and grade quizzes and exams and prepare for class. I don't know. Do you ever have the opportunity to just play with it? I mean by play with it. Just suddenly you think, you know, I'd like to see if I could find this or that. Um, you know, I'm mostly an, an observational astronomer. George, however, he he's the guy who wants to find the most obscure thing, and he does do that. He he gets excited about tracking down Pluto or mm-hmm. distant galaxies that are that are really hard to spot, and um, and then I'll happy to look when he finds it, and 
It's just about as faint of a point of light as you can imagine, but he's found it. When I was growing up, Otterbein was just, um, you know, a few clicks away from my home. And they had a nice observatory, uh, which they probably had to relocate to uh, with the additional lights of Columbus now yeah. that exist. You had another one just above you on... Uh, yes, I'm trying to think. That was Ohio State's uh, unit. Yeah, Perkins. Perkins, Perkins observatory. observatory, that's right. That was up where... Uh, they used to run a theater company up there called Playhouse on the Green. It was just right up there. So, um, this is really fascinating stuff, huh? It distracts me pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> well, somewhere along the way, um, some people became aware that there was a, a church located at the corner of Congress and West State. And um, I don't think the church ceased to exist, but they they decided that maybe they could be located somewhere else. Yeah, and their congregation was in decline, mm -hmm. and they were down to just maybe 30 or 40 and, individuals. And yet the building was um, remarkable, yes? Yeah, oh yeah. So... Um, who, who, what what was the name of the group that kind of started to form to see if they couldn't acquire that building and establish it as Southeast Ohio, Southeastern Ohio History Center? Well, that was the Athens County Historical Society and Museum. And they'd been looking for, for more space to expand their collections to, for storage of materials, and they weren't really looking for a church. Yeah. <laughs> they were looking for, you know, just a little bit of space to expand. But then that church came up for um, availability, and there was some interest by a couple different entities, one to demolish it and put up student housing, and the other to, to gut it and create student housing. And so the, the board of the Athens County Historical Society and Museum took the bold and courageous action of purchasing it and making it a, a facility that um, the community can benefit and enjoy. Now, you know, these buildings such as that or sites such as that have a great value. And so somebody had to, uh, you know, figure out the financial side of this thing that they could do it. And, um, but they did. Well, the the Historical Society Museum owned the building they were in, so they sold that, and it was almost a, a wash, the sell, sale of that building for the purchase of the new one, but... And the previous building had been on Court Street, right? right. And, but it's taken a lot of money to, to uh, add an elevator to it and to um, bring it up to code. Mm -hmm. had to have ADA restrooms installed in it and just, just to make it a museum and history center from previously being a church. But another plus side, though, is that, you know, there is like a presentation hall. There's a large place where different um, um, people can deliver um, with graphics and everything. Well, yeah, well, it's topics, a, it's right? It's been just changed a little bit into a what we call a multi-purpose facility, where the floor there was leveled, and so now it can be used for presentations and lectures. It could be we could show films, we can have uh, entertainment mm -hmm. on the on the stage there. There's a large organ in the building. We can set up tables and chairs and rent the facility out for seminars and conferences to help generate the funds to sustain the operation. We can set up uh, exhibits in that space. Or I know that this fall it's been rented out so that a group can have it for a dance so we can clear the floor and mm, sure. it can be used for that purpose. So y you were then eventually named... Um, Kind of the head guy there, 
Um, you worked on it for a number of years, at least uh, 13 or 14 years, and then you were named executive director, and you held that position for five years. Now, um, but it's still, even, even though you're now the director emeritus, um, which means the, the guy that used to be, <laughs> it's, uh, it's still a very hot topic for you, isn't it? Oh yeah, I'm still I still work there. It's just that, um, you know, at my age, I don't want to spend as much time doing administrative work as being more involved in the history and preservation, and not just of that building, of course, but working with our neighbors in the region um, of Southeast Ohio and reaching out to them, and it's pretty exciting. The you know, from day to day, the things I learn and the people I meet, and uh, yeah, you, you realize more and more every day how important Southeast Ohio is in Ohio history, American history. Well, that's in some uh, cases world history. We're going to touch on a number of those things, but let me let me ask: is is Athens? Are there other communities in Southeast Ohio that have something? similarly equal to what we have oh yes um you know chillicothe's got an outstanding historical society and um, museum of course marietta yes. has campus martius almost every county has a historic i a matter of fact i think every county has a historical society most of them have a museum but most of them are run by volunteers some of whom uh, have been volunteering for 30 years and and they're getting tired mm -hmm. and that's one of the reasons that we've decided to become a larger um, focus of our region is that we need to work together in this part of the state this is where Ohio began it's an important part of Ohio's story and yet it's ignored a lot by the powers that be in Cleveland and Columbus and the bigger cities and so we're hoping to work more with our neighbors and become a louder voice for heritage and historic preservation in our region and if we do well enough they may hear us in Columbus and, and help us out with some of the things that that need to happen down here we're losing buildings historic sites and um, stories every day and it takes people to, to help protect all that stuff because our history defines us. It tells us who we are, where we came from, and helps guide us where we're headed. And when we lose connections to that. Folks, um, if you tuned in late, our guest today is Tom O'Grady. He's the um, former um, director of the Southeast Ohio History Center which is at the corner of, of um, Congress and West State Street. Now, um, in a couple of the things that you sent me in advance to look over, you really emphasized the importance of Southeast Ohio in Ohio's development, in Ohio's future in Ohio as it is today. Yeah. Go into that some, would you? Well, this is where it started. Uh, you know, if, if we, as we typically do in history, we exclude the Native American um, occupation and ownership of this place, and we generally uh, tell the white man's story, but uh, settlement of Ohio started in Marietta, Ohio, and they quickly came this direction and to found Athens and, and Ohio University and you know the earliest governors came out of Southeast Ohio uh, you know military leaders educators this is this is really where it started when you think about the people who who came here and settled here from all the New England states and the mid mid-atlantic and the south and then all the all the immigrants from Wales and, and uh, France and, and Germany and Ireland settled this region and and then the resources they harvested 
not only did they build all these amazing communities of Southeast Ohio, but they harvested the resources that built the rest of Ohio, Columbus and Akron and Cleveland and places like that, because they didn't have the timber and the raw materials that, that came out of this region of the state. The, the bricks that were manufactured in Southeast Ohio paved streets all over Ohio and up into uh, Michigan and other places in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, when you, when you look at the Civil War, the North, you know, it, uh, Lincoln's Secretary of, of War, Edwin Stanton, came out of Steubenville, Ohio, right here in Appalachian, Ohio. And then three of the most significant generals, Grant, Sherman, and Sheridan, came out of the Appalachian Hills of Ohio. And where would, where would Ohio been with, or where would America been without that kind of leadership? And it's just, it, it's significant. The more, you, the more you learn about it, the, the more interwoven it all appears to be. Now, how is all of that made known through the History Center? The, the building right here in town. I'm not sure what you mean by how is it made known. I mean, are there, are there displays? Oh, yeah, we have changing exhibits. Uh, we have a collections there, but the collection is mostly representative of Athens County's history. Um, the Athens County Historical Society Museum has been collecting materials for 40 years, and um, but it's not as expressive of the region. And one of the things we're working on right now is we're working with Hilferty & Associates, a museum design firm here in Athens County, isn't it something that we have have that organization who's internationally famous? Yeah, they they designed right a lot of lot of museums throughout the United States. The Native American Museum on the Mall in Washington, and the Kentucky Horse Park, and the Great Lakes Museum, and and so many I couldn't even begin to list them. That's right. And we're we're working with them to create a Southeast Ohio exhibit that. If you come in from anywhere in Southeast Ohio, you'll feel like your story is being represented. But if you come in from anywhere in Ohio or, or, or beyond, that you would learn about Southeast Ohio and its role in, in um, Ohio and American history and hopefully some of the stories that, that you know, influence world history. Well, why don't you... Um I didn't mean to put you on the spot like this, but think of a story you love to tell your students or whomever that maybe our audience might not be familiar with. Well, one of the earliest stories in Southeast Ohio is, is referred to in our history books as Lord Dunmore's War. And Lord Dunmore was a Scottish Earl and uh, he was assigned to be governor of Virginia. And in the spring of 1770, and, and at that time, people were looking at the Ohio country, which was Native American territory, but people in the East and, and, and the colonies, they were all colonies subject to the crown at that time. They were all looking in this direction, speculating on land. Washington had been over here a few years earlier, scouting for land to award to uh, members of the soldiers of the uh, French and Indian War. And so they're looking at this place, sort of land speculation. And in the spring of 1774, Chief Logan, a Mingo uh, Indian whose family lived along the Ohio River, was massacred by, by settlers uh, in the Virginia side of the river. And so what he did was he retaliated. He went out and massacred and burned cabins and things like that. And retaliation and this is not good for real estate development you might no. say and so Dunmore wanted to uh, put an end to that and so he organized a couple armies one he led down the Ohio River from uh, Fort Pitt and then another one came down the New River in the Kanawha led by a Colonel Andrew Lewis and they were supposed to meet at a at Point Pleasant well Dunmore and his army when they got to the Hocking River they built a small fort to store their canoes and supplies, and they marched up the Hocking River, camping in what we call today Stewart and around uh, Chansey, mm -hmm. uh, 
Nelsonville, and then they crossed over into the um, Scioto Valley up around Logan. But meanwhile, Andrew Lewis's people came down the Kanawha River, and they were met one morning by Shawnee warriors, and they had the Battle of Point Pleasant in October 1774, a day-long battle led by Chief Cornstalk and his sister Nanhalima. There was no clear victor in that contest, and so they, the Native Americans fled back up towards Circleville. Uh, Andrew Lewis's people chased them. Dunmore stopped any further conflict. They had a treaty up there, the Treaty of Camp Charlotte, where Native Americans agreed not to harass or continue with any hostilities. Chief Logan refused to uh, participate in that, and he he uh, issued a speech underneath a giant low, uh, giant elm tree over there near Circleville, which has come to be known as the Logan Elm. And it is set, and, and when that speech got back to uh, the East Coast, Jefferson printed it up in his book called Notes on Virginia. Mm-hmm. And he said that, that uh, the speech was comparable to the oratory of Cicero and Demosthenes. He was the first one to suggest that Native Americans were something other than savages. And it is said that at one time in American history, every student committed that speech to memory. It's not a very long speech, but it's a very profound speech about what white man ever came to Logan's cabin hungry and Logan didn't feed him and what white man ever came to Logan's cabin naked and he didn't clothe him. And yet not a drop of Logan's blood runs in any human being who is there to mourn for Logan, not one. And meanwhile, after the Treaty of Camp Charlotte, this army, and it's hard to picture an army of 2,000 people marching down the Hocking River at some point in history, but it really? happened. Yeah. And when they got back down to, to the mouth of the Hocking, at what we call Hocking Port today, the fellows who were in that army, they were all, again, colonists. The only, the only representative of the crown there was Lord Dunmore. The rest of them were, were local people. And they were feeling their oats. They survived battle and were alive, and they'd been living off the land for months on end. And so they felt like they were really something. And they passed two resolutions. One of their resolutions was that Lord Dunmore was a swell guy, and he did a much better job on the expedition than he had, than they had anticipated. But the other was, and I'm paraphrasing here, that they would defend the king against any insult or injury uh, whatnot, as long as he chose to rule over these colonies and these people in a benevolent sort of a way. But, there's a large but there, if he chose to to rule in a more of an aggressive way, then they would defend the colonies against the king. Now, that, that got back to the East Coast in a couple months. It was uh, written up in the papers. People like Jefferson read that. And then they got over back to Parliament. It took two months to cross the sea, but they were read right on the floor of Parliament in um, March of 1775. Very unpopular, no doubt. Oh, yes. And so some people, some historians say that the Battle of Point Pleasant was the first battle of the Revolution. Some people say, of course, others argue that's not so. And others argue that the um, Fort Gower Resolves, written down there on the banks of the Hocking, were the first declaration of independence. Now, we had a fella come here a couple of years ago. He was born and raised in England, but he came here in 1970, became a citizen, and he taught chemistry for a career at, um, in Blacksburg, Virginia. And when he retired, he started doing um, local history for, the, for Virginia. And he stumbled on this story, and he researched it. And when he came through here, he said, he said, this is a story of, of great significance. Not only should every kid in Athens County know this story, but every kid in America. He says, because what happened here was of national and international significance. He said, look, I'm from England. We were the bad guys. And November 5th, seven, uh, 1774 is when this was written. He says, nothing's more important in England than November 5th. That's, you know, that's when we have our fireworks and our bonfires. That's Guy Fawkes Day. He says, but Guy Fawkes Day doesn't hold a candle to what happened on the banks of the Hocking River. And, you know, this is an important story, and, and it's kind of lost in our, you know, in our the darkness of our past, but, you know, I intend to, to share it with a lot of people. 
Well, uh, if if there's people in our audience who would love to know some of these stories, um, are there presentations issued on some regular basis at the uh, History Center, or are there um, maybe uh, pamphlets that you've written or others on this these topics? Oh, you know, there's bits and pieces of it in our newsletter. Uh, I I do I have put together a presentation on it, and I'm happy to come and tell that story anywhere somebody wants to hear about it. And I've given it a oh maybe 15 times since mm-hmm. I put it together, mm-hmm. and I continue to learn more about it all the time. And here's an interesting thing. I, I got a call at the History Center a couple months ago, and somebody wanted to talk to me about Fort Gower resolves. So I answered the phone, and he said, what can you tell me about the resolves? So I told him everything I could think of with all the enthusiasm I could muster. Mm. I said, well, why did you call me? He says, well, when I Google the Fort Gower resolves online, you're the only name that comes up. I didn't know that. That's a little scary to me. Yeah. But then I said, well, well, why is it you're interested? He says, well, I have these papers. And then he sent me photographs of these papers that they look like they're handwritten, and they look like they were handwritten 250 years ago. So Mm -hmm. he wanted to know if they were valuable, and I said, well, yeah, they're valuable, and they should be here at the History Center. (laughs) They should donate them. Anyway, I'm trying to work work that out with him, and... um, you know, you, you think this is ancient history, and all of a sudden something like that pops up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, an, another thing that you have um, more than the average person's knowledge of, Indian mounds. And uh, what, 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 um, what prompted that? Oh, I don't know. Um, I... I think coming to Athens County prompted all this stuff. I, I didn't grow up with a, an interest in history. Um, but here in Athens County, doing cleanups. You know, that's kind of interesting. Doing cleanups. I you started didn't have an interest in history until you moved here. Yeah, I didn't. That's kind I of did, cool. I didn't have any interest in history or science. or Southeast Ohio sparked my enthusiasm. I'll well, I, I interrupted you. Go ahead. Well, uh, I started cleaning up trash and a lot of it was dumped in the old canal and then I discovered the canal and wanted to know more about canals and trace them all over the state of Ohio before I was done. Indian mounds came into the picture somewhere and so I started searching them out. And, um, I worked a, a little while with a f- an old fellow named Emmett Conway Sr. and he taught me a lot about this stuff and I don't know I just you know once I get you know get the trigger I'm, I keep going for it mm. I think it's called a attention deficit disorder <laughs> well you know I bet there's um, six more things on your list that you want to uh, know more about and pursue uh, name a few oh well um, I want to know more about um, the Civil War and Ohio's role in that Civil War. I just started getting interested in that in the last four or five years, and it's a fascinating time. And, um, you know, I, I, I see that America's still struggling with all of that to this very day, you know, and you see things like the monuments being uh, a central part of the debate in America today. Um, I guess I want to know more about the natural history of Ohio, how it was formed, you know, the glaciers, and and um, I, I love driving around southeast Ohio trying to find out where all the old pre-glacial streams are, the rivers that ran through here before the glaciers, the Taze River and the Albany River and the Marietta River, and there are, they're visible in the landscape if you know what to look for, but I'm, I'm, I'm learning that stuff, and I want to know more about it. Maybe we'll put up markers someday so more people can know that thing. Um, now, if you have buddies and you guys want to uh, relax or do something fun, uh, what are the what are things you might choose? 
Me? Yeah. Well, it used to be I'd go out in the woods, and I still like to do that, but I'm, I'm really interested in history now, and so what we've been doing since COVID started is I get together with family members, and we've been having what they call Tommy tours. <laughs> what is it? Tommy tours. Tommy tours. And we meet somewhere. And oh, some to for Tommy. you? Yeah. Okay. And we meet somewhere, and then we will, you know, um, dri drive around in, in a little caravan and, and look at different historic sites in the landscape. Uh, we might show up in some town and visit a bunch of places. And we've done about, oh, maybe 10 or 12 of those this coming weekend. It's going to happen up in uh, Knox County. Mm -hmm. So, But most of them were centered in southeast Ohio for the past year and a half. So you mentioned he had 13 uh, siblings, or 12. 12 total. Yeah. One of them, I, I think, if I understood, is passed. Yeah, that's my older brother. Now, uh, and you're number two in the group? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's... Okay. Um, <clears throat> what about the rest of these O'Grady's? Are they... Do they have similar interests? Uh... Mm. They're a lot more interested in sports than I am. Yeah, I like to play sports, but I don't follow them that much. Yeah, um, they're interested in, you know, politics and you know they got families and they're pretty well distracted with things. Do many of them live reasonably nearby? They all live in Columbus. Okay. Well, you know, I'm a Worthington brat. Yeah. And uh, I love Worthington. Well, let's see here. Scott, what do you think? This is... Uh, are you back there? Oh, he isn't with us. I, I hadn't turned around during the show. But um, I just think uh, what you have done for Athens County, uh, starting way back with the, these illegal dumps and cleaning them up and stuff like that, and, and then the... You know the collection of of um, trash and recycling and all of that, um, and now this fascination with history and and the development of a a history center that I think is, from what I'm told, it's unique. There aren't that many uh, similar things in cities our size. Um, or really spread about the state, even though you mentioned a few. Well, I guess we're, we're we have a different mission than a, just a museum. So, yeah, I guess we're a little different than that. But there's an interest in history in all the counties. And then this thing in uh, uh, the cosmos, you know, that's that's pretty cool stuff. What is something you've always wanted to do and have yet to do it? Uh, go to Alaska or Machu Picchu down in Peru, <laughs> something like that. Now, have you traveled much internationally? Um, I spent a year in Korea in the, in the Army, but um, when I was young, George and I traveled around Europe for four months, hitchhiking and camping out. But since then, I think almost every expedition I've taken has been associated with a total eclipse of the sun. And so I did manage to get to Colombia and Venezuela and Ecuador and Mexico and Canada and Egypt for to stand in the moon's shadow for a few moments. I had to see what year were you in Ecuador? Uh, 1977. Yeah, same here. Yep. Did that was uh, down in the jungles of Chupienza and um, also a lot of Kunga. Oh, went a lot of Kunga. Yeah. Well, listen, um, so what? what is something, um, do you have enough people interested in the History Center to get things done, or would you prefer to have another um, bunch of volunteers? Oh, yeah, we, we have several volunteers but for our mission we're aiming high so we need a lot of volunteers there's 
there's so many different things we want to accomplish and uh, so many things that need to be done both in collections exhibits in the library and then outreach with our our neighbors uh, fundraising now you have <coughs> you have a shop there yeah there's a small museum store and um, various uh, local books are available there and um, some dealing with history some dealing with other parts of our region or other topics within our region and uh, and I'm told that's uh, well visited oh well, we'd like it to be more well visited <laughs> it's not like Kroger's or nothing oh we'll advertise for you we'll yeah be happy to do that we uh we it's interesting we have puzzles there puzzles were kind of popular during COVID when people were locked down um, oh my, yes. and these puzzles are are um, they feature local places local buildings um you know what i miss i was talking about this last night at with the group we used to host the national jigsaw puzzle championships oh yeah the dairy barn mac there who was my sales manager and who else they they the two of them had this idea and that was a big deal and it was held on the floor of the convocation center you know and everybody got to open and see their puzzle at the same moment hallmark cards sponsored it and then it was a race you know against the clock fascinating stuff oh wow and lots of people came in from all over i want to say the world but mostly the u.s but i mean they came from every nook and cranny Jigsaw puzzles. Well, anyway, listen, Tom, as always, we stand ready to help you promote things that you're, you're doing down there. We think what you do is remarkable. And um, I'd love to visit to the... Uh, check it out. I'd love to visit the new... Um, um, what is it? Help me. Watching the sky. Oh, the observatory. I'd love to do that. I haven't been to it. Well, later this summer should be good because Jupiter, yeah. uh, Saturn, Venus, and the crescent moon could all be up on an, a good evening, and we could point a telescope at all of those. Cool. I'd say late August, early September would be a good time. Well, if you think of it, keep me in mind. All right. Well, Tom O'Grady, thanks for joining us. Won't you, uh, uh, and, and as I said, keep us well informed. All right, let's see here. Looking ahead, folks, what else do we have coming up? Um, oh, a week from today, Amy Renner is going to be our guest. She's the mayor of the village of Chansey. And I, I just, I've never had her on the air before. I thought that would be fun. And um, Dr. Betty Young's coming up, the president of Hocking College. And we've got some others, too. So keep us in mind. When we have a free-for-all, we have a good time, too. So uh, stick around and join Scott and myself, won't you? In the meantime, CBS News. And they're keeping us well informed on the... In our 71st year of service to Southeast Ohio, AM 970 and 97.1 FM. W-A-T-H-F-M. Is CBS News on the Hour, presented by Indeed.com. I'm Deborah Rodriguez. A quorum being present, the select committee to investigate the January 6th attack on the United States Capitol will be in order. The first public hearings on the insurrection are now underway, and they began with never-before-seen video. When we start hunting them down one by one. First to testify, law enforcement on duty that day. CBS's Cammie McCormick. The police officers scheduled to testify have said they were punched, trampled, and sprayed with chemical irritants. Rioters yelled racial slurs. One is an Iraq veteran who says he's still recovering from his injuries. Another was dragged down the Capitol steps and shocked with a stun gun, then beaten. Democrat Adam Schiff says we want to communicate what it was like on the front lines for these police officers. There are seven Democrats 
Democrats on the host panel and two Republicans, including the GOP's Liz Cheney, who tells CBS this morning. I believe my duty and my oath to the Constitution is very clear, uh, and I think that we all have to play a role in making sure this never happens again. Just in from Georgia, a guilty plea in the spa killings near Atlanta. Robert Aaron Long, charged in the shooting deaths of eight people, six of them women of Asian descent, has pleaded guilty to four of those murders. He's hoping for life in prison instead of the death penalty. Huge hit for Team USA Gymnastics at the Summer Olympics. They lost to Russia after star Simone Biles withdrew from the competition for what a spokesperson calls a medical issue at the vault.